watchers in the fourth dimension. But who knows how many infected people they've got in high places? Shall we go down? I don't want to. Try and justify this to a committee of Whitehall bureaucrats? Hello and welcome to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. And I'm Riley. And they may fool the others, but not Vinnie Broadhead. <laughs> and this episode, we are coming to you for a special bonus episode where we'll be travelling back to before Doctor Who even started and discussing the 1957 version of Quatermass 2, which is said to have heavily influenced Spearhead from Space, just as the Quatermass franchise influenced Season 7 in general. We'll start with some behind-the-scenes information, and then we'll move into our general discussion. Quatermass itself has its origins in the BBC serial The Quatermass Experiment, which was originally broadcast in 1953 and was written by BBC staff writer Nigel Neal. This serial was one of the first recorded instances of event television in the UK and is said to have emptied out the streets and pubs as households stayed home to watch it. And it's now considered one of the absolutely pivotal moments for televised science fiction, particularly British televised science fiction. Hammer Films were very, very keen to buy the rights for a film version, given the success of the TV version, and the BBC sold the rights to them for a mere £500. Neil was a BBC employee at the time, and as such was not entitled to any compensation for the sale of his scripts and the rights to his concept. Hammer was very keen to play up the horror elements of the film, and deliberately push for an X rating from the British Board of Film Censors, and to really cash in on that, they dropped the E from the word experiment in the film's title. Now, after the first film proved to be a massive success, Hammer very rapidly purchased the rights to the sequel, which was already in production but had not been broadcast at the BBC yet. This time, Neil, who was in the final five months of his contract with the BBC, was allowed to contribute to the scriptwriting and thus gain a fee for it. He wrote the very first draft of the screenplay, with all subsequent drafts being handled by returning director Val Guest. The script itself was largely faithful to the television serial, although it was condensed down to take place in an 85-minute movie rather than six 30-minute episodes. Quatermass 2 had a much larger budget than its predecessor, partly due to United Artists, who were the American distributors for the film, contributing over two-thirds of the budget, as well as paying the fee and airfare of its star, Brian Don Levy. Don Levy had played Professor Quatermass in the first film and reprises his role here. Hammer had very deliberately hired an American actor for the lead role in order to ensure that the film appealed to American audiences in addition to the British audiences who were already familiar with Quatermass. Producing the film, we have Anthony Hines, who was the son of Hammer co-founder William Hines, and he was involved in a significant amount of the studio's output, which beyond the Quatermass franchise included X the Unknown, which is kind of pseudo-Quatermass, proto-Doctor Who, as well as several of the studio's gothic horror movies. And providing music, we have another Hammer stalwart, James Bernard. Now, with this larger budget, Quatermass 2 was able to conduct a lot more location shooting than its predecessor, and shot scenes at the Shellhaven oil refinery in Essex, which represented the Winnerden Flats complex, the Hemel Hempstead Newtown in Hertfordshire, which was the Winnerden Flats Newtown, and the South Downs near Brighton, which is where the hurricane caused by the explosion of Winnerden Flats was filmed at the very end. A number of scenes were also filmed in London, notably in Trafalgar Square, where they stopped traffic for just two minutes to allow for filming, as well as in the foyer of the House of Lords. Overall, critical reception to the film could be generously described as mixed. 
and its box office performance was overshadowed by that of another Hammer production, The Curse of Frankenstein, which was released in the same month and managed to break several UK box office records. With this in mind, Hammer prioritised its gothic horror productions over science fiction, and while the BBC broadcast another Quatermass serial, Quatermass and the Pit, in 1959, Hammer would not pick up the rights until 1961 and would not actually release the film until 1967. With that, we're going to really look at the film through three different lenses. Firstly, as a film on its own, we'll also talk about its influence on Doctor Who in general, as well as its influence on Spearhead from Space in particular. So gentlemen, what did you think? I think it was a lot of fun, for sure. I mean, if you're a person that really goes for the 1950s style science fiction cataclysmic type of film, it really works. I think of them or It Conquered the World, things like that. And they're not always that genre, the scientists and big monsters and a bunch of scientists trying to figure out an answer kind of genre. It's not for everybody, but I am. I'm a fan of it. I definitely thought there was something of the invasion of the body snatchers about it. Oh, yeah, it does have that element. Which yeah. came out just two years prior to this. Yeah. yeah. It's weird because this is a time period, I think, especially in the 50s, where sci-fi is branching or just touching horror. And it hasn't like fully like married it. It was never a matter of like necessarily scaring you. It was more like everything was about the science. There's a, I think it was an Italian horror movie that had a kind of similar feel to this from the 50s. I think it was called Caltiki. It's also about a black sludge that scientists are trying to figure out that will soon take over the world and only a bunch of people in lab coats can figure out how to solve the problem. I did find the inciting incidents to get Quatermass into the plot. I thought it interesting that there were two of them and he tried really, really hard to ignore both of them. Yeah. One was the car accident, which seemed a little bit like they just wanted to start the movie off with some sort of action. And then his people have found the meteorites are landing and he basically shrugs them off and tells them you're not going to have a job tomorrow, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, he's trying really, really hard to not be involved. It's interesting how they take that approach and yet he's reluctantly having to intervene in the plot anyway. And he's just, the character himself is just so cranky, which I have to say my experience going into this with Quatermass is I have seen Quatermass in the pit. I have seen that movie. I don't remember him being that cranky. I'm not sure whether this might be part of it, but Brian Don Levy, who didn't reprise the role for Quaid Mass in the Pit, he was also a notorious alcoholic and they had to do things like hide his whiskey from him on set. Oh, I thought that was a character thing that I was kind of drawing upon. But OK, that's a real life problem he was having because he just yeah. didn't seem kind of like an angry drunk that was a little <laughs> bewildered. <laughs> That's because he was an angry drunk who was a little bit bewildered. <laughs> his, his casting kind of confused me because my understanding was that Quatermass was supposed to be a British scientist. And he was in the TV shows. Again, it really was to try and make the films appeal to an American audience as well. And with Quatermass in the Pit, the part was played with Andrew Keir, and he was English, right? I'm trying to remember. It's been a while. Yeah, he was Scottish. Yeah. And Brian Don Levy was a lot more famous for, he actually had a fairly significant number of films on his resume, none of which are particularly well remembered today, but took a number of TV roles, including on Rawhide, Wagon Train, The Texan, a lot of Western TV shows. So this does seem like a bit of an odd fit for him, and he feels a bit shoehorned in. But at times, I mean, if you look past the crankiness, I feel like in the second half of the film, he seems a lot more passionate, the character does, and I think he does a good job with that. But at the beginning, it does feel like an odd fit. You're right. 
And then he spends a big chunk of the introduction just sort of yelling at people to try and get them to help him. <laughs> I think he yeah. may be a good prototype for our bad boss that we see a lot in early <laughs> Doctor Who, except in this case, he's our star. I know we're going to release this episode immediately after Spearhead from Space, but we're already a few episodes into season seven. And honestly, his reluctance to get involved in the plot kind of reminds me of the third Doctor in Doctor Who and the Silurians, just trying to avoid getting pulled in and being like oh no thank you not really interested bye yeah but that's the doctor just being petulant this guy is clearly just looking for the bodily essence <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that the code word when he says moon base he's actually talking about his whiskey you press Maybe. a button the domes open and there it is <laughs> and a lot of money yeah. on that and they don't even show it yeah. i would like to talk about the director a little bit val guest I thought the direction was very good. I think there are certain scenes in particular that really stand out. And it says a lot for a film that is that old where you can really feel yourself getting pulled in. I was thinking about the rising tension when they're on the tour of the facility. And yeah. him and Broadhead, like you can sense it. Like when he sees, when Quatermass sees the open door and it's up start to close and he can realize like, oh, this is it. I need to get out of here. The tension there was excellent. And then we get to one of my favorite scenes in the film. Film, which was when Broadhead emerges mm. covered in this black goo, right. which was a nice little bit of, of body horror on its own, especially because he's screaming at Quatermass not to touch him. This actually is really cool because it influenced a scene from one of my favorite shows of all time, League of Gentlemen, <laughs> where these two construction workers, I believe they are, have been captured by uh, Edward, by, and Tubbs. By Edward and Tubbs. Yes. And <laughs> And they cover them in this black tar stuff and send them out to try to stop the road from being built. And it's you know, the same kind of look. So I thought that was pretty awesome. And what I love about that is Mark Gatiss, who, of course, is one of the writers and performers in The League of Gentlemen, has confirmed that that was influenced by Quatermass 2. <laughs> Like I said, that's Val Guest. I actually think he's quite good. I know people will disagree on this, but he is one of the many directors of my favorite Bond film, and this is where people will disagree with me on, Casino Royale. <laughs> the 1967 version, yeah, yeah. which, in my opinion, is the superior Casino Royale. And <laughs> that he's, I don't know, he's just got a very good style about him. And I don't know, it's just, it's very impressive. And I think he did an excellent job in this. And there's just a lot of really good bits to this movie that kind of get hidden. They gets kind of confusing because also I don't understand why we have a New York City type of reporter in England. I could come up with a backstory as why he's there, but I'm not too certain. But other elements of the film work really well. Like, for example, I really enjoyed the township nearby and how the leaders do not want to accept or not want to come forth with the fact that they know that something weird's going on and they just want to have those jobs, you know? I thought that was very Stepford Wives, which mm -hmm. is an interesting connection because Brian Forbes, who played Marsh, actually actually directed the Stepford Wives. Oh, wow. Oh, that's okay. interesting. Huh. Yeah, Forbes is often described as being one of the most important figures in the British film industry. He was an actor, director, screenwriter, producer, novelist, and ended up as head of EMI Films. Wow. Yeah, he was quite an amazing guy, and here he is early in his career in just basically what's a bit part. Hmm. Neat. I have some plot-related questions that I think, Anthony, you being more familiar with the source material, may be able to answer. I'll try. And it's about the, and I'm heavily finger-quoting here, the zombies, as they call them within the film. Because one of our early incidents is one of Quatermass's associates. He gets the mark put on his face. 
and eventually becomes control. Yes, that is Marsh. And we see various other characters, including some in government with that same mark. Yep. Why do some people that have the mark have to wear the gas canisters to survive Mm. and others don't? My guess with that would be they're further along in being infected. But Marsh was one of the last ones to be Uh, infected maybe it's the other way maybe it's they're not far enough so the alien entity that's infected them hasn't yet adjusted to earth's atmosphere okay i like that i was just wondering there was a little comment in there about them trying somewhere in the movie about them trying to adjust yeah yeah but i'm like how does it exactly work so you have people that they're working in the government and clearly aren't gonna be walking around with a gas mask on their face all the time (laughs) yeah (laughs) so how exactly does that happen Yeah, no, that's a really good question, and I think that it's because of that, but I could be wrong. One thing I did want to touch on that Riley already mentioned is the reporter character, Jimmy Hall. Bizarrely, for someone who's played like a New York journalist, he's played by Sid James, who was originally a South African actor who moved to the UK in World War II, and in the majority of his films adopted a fairly kind of lower-class British accent and is really famous for being the lead in 17 of the Carry On movies. Oh. Wow. Oh, he does look... Oh, okay, now he is familiar. Okay. Yeah, he was in 19 of them and received the top billing in 17. Wow. And had his own TV show, Citizen James. I mean, he was a big name, or at least would go on to be a big name. And casting him as a New York journalist and not as Sid James just seems like a slightly odd casting decision. He was our comedy drunk New York journalist. Yeah, that's true. But but he has a heroic turn. He does. Yeah. Yeah. And that was uh, that was a good touch. I was a little disappointed that they gunned him down. I guess the kind of horror trope with this kind of thing is when you get caught, you get forcibly infected and instead Mm -hmm. they just shot him. Yeah. Yeah, they were a little bit too high were the bad guys at that point. I like the way that when they were going on the tour, you had that guy leading them around. He was just creepy and sinister, and you knew something bad was going to happen to those people, but they didn't actually show it. I think they could have just led him away or something, and it would have been just as effective. As soon as that guy showed up in the House of Lords and was talking to Broadhead, and Broadhead is like, hey, can I bring this guy with me? And he's like, oh, what's your name? Professor Quatermass. Oh, yes, I, I think that would be fine. And he just looks so creepy. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. No, acting. no good is going to come of this. Yeah. I'd like to talk about the design a little bit. For example, I really liked the giant creatures. I thought that was a fine design. It was kind of hard to make out, but I think it's good for what we are going for. I like the troopers, except yeah. I really don't like their hats. They're a little <laughs> kind of beanie. Such an oddly beanie. specific complaint. I don't like their hats. <laughs> it is. It's their, their helmets, I guess. Also, while we're talking about accents and American accents, I couldn't really, the female bartender, it seemed like it was Irish, but then it slipped out into something else and then went back to Irish. I don't know. That was an actress by the name of Vera Day, and she was a Londoner. So mm. I think she was from the East End, so she would have been natively a Cockney as well. So I don't know if she was trying to do something else at some point. I didn't get Irish at any point, but she tended to play the kind of glamorous blonde bombshell role in British movies at this time. Hmm. Speaking of the female element, since Julie's not here, I have to mention the extremely sexist scene during the tour where the people walk by and they all make rude comments oh. and whistles. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. secretary yeah. completely out of nowhere and then it just disappears. Yeah, the intense sexism to one of basically two female characters in mm-hmm. the film. Right. 
doesn't quite sit well in 2021. It just seemed odd because there's nothing like that in the rest of the film. But then you have this to show that, see, look, they're totally normal. Just <laughs> odd. Just a bunch of horny guys. A cat calling any lady that walks past them and harassing them. After we have our magic accent switching barmaid, it's where this Hammer movie, I thought they were really going to go in an old Universal monster movie direction and have the base literally taken down by you know, torches and pitchforks and angry mm-hmm. villagers. Yeah. And they did a pretty yeah. good job, but they didn't quite finish it off. Until they get stuck in the pressure center and psychologically fucked with until one of them runs out. Yeah, exactly. That was an excellent scene. I I really had to give them a lot of credit for that. Just I like the idea of, you know, they're bunkered in and then there's cracks in their in their defense, so to speak. People are thinking about bailing and then two of them leave after being convinced by the voice over the speaker and they go out there and they plug the holes with them. Yeah. It's wonderful. <laughs> and their blood seeps out of the pipe. Ooh. Oh, very nice. That's such a good touch. So good. So very good. I think that would be considered today, would be considered somewhat gruesome. And this is 1957, right? Well, again, that's, I mean, it wasn't just the first one that received an X rating. This one did as well. Yeah. I actually think it would look more gruesome now because it would be in color and it would mm-hmm. be very obviously blood. Yeah. Yeah. And they would probably show what happens to them rather than just mentioning yeah, right. it as it happens off screen. I mean, it's still very nasty without actually seeing it. There yeah. was actually a bit in here that reminded me of one of the Doctor Who movies that we watched, which is when Quatermass has infiltrated the plant dressed as one of the troopers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they finally start noticing him and they're moving in. I was like, just a little bit of that one scene. <laughs> He was a bit chubbier than the rest of them as well. Yeah, just a bit bit pudgy for a stormtrooper. I also have to say, I have to ask you guys, who has the funnier run, Quatermass or the second doctor? Because, I don't know, they both run. When they run, they look hilarious. (laughs) I'm going with the second doctor, but that's more out of familiarity than anything. Yeah. I have to say, Quatermass has got to be the hardest to catch pudgy middle-aged man in the entire world. (laughs) That's true. That it it often seems like are they trying to let him go or are they just incompetent? (laughs) Anyway, it's it's a very enjoyable film, I think. If you like science fiction with a little bit of horror, you want to see like the beginnings of that marriage, this is definitely it. If you watch MST3K, there are a lot of films in this time period that try to do that or just go for the strict sci-fi and they are painful to watch. This is actually an enjoyable watch. This is very competently and well-made. I mean, it does have a few bits of cheese, but that's to be expected. Uh, Like Riley mentioned earlier, I really like the design of the creatures at the end. They weren't just weird bug-eyed monsters. They were these giant things. And that was pretty cool. I like the fact that they brought Marsh, the guy who was infected at the beginning, they brought him back at the end. So that mm-hmm. plot actually kind of went somewhere as he arrived, although I'm not sure how he knew what they were going to do. So he arrived at the Equator Mass base to try and stop them from using the rocket as a nuclear missile. I believe the plan. Yep. I was a bit iffy on that as well, but apparently in the original serial, they traveled to the asteroid to fight the aliens. I think this is better. Yeah, it doesn't quite stretch credulity in the same way. And they did prompt it right at the beginning because the moon-based project was cancelled by Westminster because they thought the nuclear engine in the rockets was flawed. Okay, that makes sense then. I did keep wondering Hmm. at the very end, well, is he going to get funding for his project now? They left that kind of in the air, and I'm the type of person that wonders about stuff like that. 
<laughs> Probably not, but it did its job. One element about the ending that I love, a little behind the scenes thing I found while I was reading, after they blow up the base on Earth and they get caught in the huge wind mm-hmm. blowback from it, apparently Brian Don Levy's toupee blew off <laughs> while they were filming that, which is a story I absolutely adore. No, I need to rewatch it. Oh, just for that. I don't think it was caught on camera. I think it was um, okay. cut and they refilmed. But yeah, that did happen in one take. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think as a sci-fi film, we all enjoyed it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. an enjoyable piece of sci-fi, even if the critics are somewhat mixed on that. Yeah, um, absolutely. What it's... do they know? Well, I mean, I, I don't understand that. I mean, are we talking modern day critics or critics back then? Yes. A little bit of both. Okay. I think if you look back at it now, people could appreciate it for what it was, and it's harder to see in the time period. Yeah. So, Riley, I know you've already seen Quatermass in the Pit, Mm -hmm. and Don, I don't think you've seen either of the other Quatermass movies, but does it make you want to go back and watch the Quatermass experiment and Don for you, Quatermass in the Pit? Quite possibly. I do think it's kind of funny that for a series based on one guy that isn't the Doctor, he certainly does change actors a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I think he was four different actors in the four TV serials and then two actors in these movies. And I have a feeling someone else might have played him on the radio. Oh, and then they did a recreation in 2005 that actually had David Tennant in a supporting role as well. So I, I guess that's five actors on TV and two in the movies and maybe someone else on radio. So yes. The funny thing is, the way they portray him here, I can almost see them rebooting it, but with doing like Hugh Laurie in full on house mode. Oh, as being just that... super grouchy and difficult to work for you know i i would watch that i i would definitely watch that all right let's write it up <laughs> <laughs> in terms of its relationship to doc who there are obviously a lot of connections particularly between the tv serials and doctor who and some between the films and nigel neal infamously hated doctor who because they felt the show stole his ideas no <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) So how do you think it influenced the show that is the primary focus of our podcast? Well, they took it, they filed the serial numbers off as best they could, and then (laughs) put it out there. I mean, if you describe the opening bits of plot to compare this with what we were comparing it to, the spearhead from space, you have meteorites falling from the sky, Mm -hmm. each of which contains a bit of what is described in both as a group consciousness. So in their ideas, they are very similar. In their execution, they are still somewhat different. And I want to add to that, Don, not just that, but the creature inside the meteorites has to be housed in a special tank, Mm -hmm. and it ends with that creature breaching the tank and basically trying to destroy our hero. Oh, and that's not all. The creature and the conspiracy is formed by possessing people's bodies and is done under the guise of, you know, it's a plastics factory, but here it's a new food factory, mm-hmm. artificial food factory. Yeah. So another similarity there. And it does take over certain people's bodies within the government. Yes. Right. <laughs> Pretty close. I think a lot of people play up the similarities between Quatermass and Doctor Who in general, but to me, this seems very specific to what we have seen so far in the Pertwee era. 
an earth-based scientist who allies himself with authority figures in this case he gets Lomax a police officer on side the Pertwee era of Doctor Who obviously has the brigadier and I think the similarities to Doctor Who in general are overstated but I definitely see them with season seven in particular yeah and like I said there's influence but there's a lot of differences too like there's just the fact that the Autons exist as unique creatures that's a very different take on it but as far as ideas go, they're similar, but you can't really patent ideas like that. I mean, how many alien invasion movies have there been? Yeah. It's an idea. So, And I, I seem to recall Robert Holmes, who wrote Spearhead from Space, and Don, you might have brought this up in another episode. I believe I did. <laughs> to write a good story, you just need an original idea. It doesn't have to be yours. No, it's all about execution. I mean, originality is highly overstated. I yeah. can bang on my desk and fart, and it can be a completely original musical idea, but it sucks. <laughs> but you can take, you know, a nice, you know, standard pop song form and make something that isn't original, but it's good. Yeah. And I feel like that's what Robert Holmes did. He took some of the elements from this that he liked, the meteorites, the idea of a gestalt consciousness that's split up into different pieces and has to be reassembled, and he put his own spin on it. Mm-hmm. And it really works for Spearhead, even though we had some issues with the coherence of the overall plot. It was good enough in other ways to work as a story. I think this is a bit more coherent at times. You kind of know what the alien's plan is as the story goes along, and they don't seem to just be purely reacting. Yeah, because it's the same plan that Quatermass has and is trying to get funding for. Right, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we have some settings that seem to start coming up time and time again. The idea of wandering around an industrial site. We kind of see that in parts of the invasion. <laughs> we get the factory setting in Spearhead. Uh, yeah. The lead character being shot at around an industrial setting. Again, I don't mean to go too far into spoilers, but that's something we see again in Inferno at the end of season seven. I feel like there's a lot of this in the beginning of the part we era, even if it's not just wholesale poaching things. And there was that wonderful scene in the synthetic food factory, or mm -hmm. as they claimed it was, with Quatermass in disguise, and you're getting the voice over the loudspeaker. And that really reminded me of that factory scene in The War Machines, where Ben is under control. Oh, yeah. As yeah, well. That's cool. I was like, ah, okay, maybe that was poached as well. Well, you know, it's funny because I think Quatermass, I believe, has been referenced by a lot of other directors outside of Doctor Who. Like, for example, when I watched it, and I immediately thought of this, and I just rewatched this movie the other day, and it is striking how much it is like Quatermass. A little bit of Quatermass in the pit, but also Quatermass 2. And that is the Toby Hooper 1984 classic Life Force. Oh my god. <laughs> there is a lot of similarities there, including the model work for City Skylines and just any sort of like location. That and the body control, you know, the possession, aliens coming in from outer space. I mean, it's a lot of similarities to it and a whole bunch of science. I think, as I said, you know, certainly for anyone who was alive in Britain in the 1950s, Quatermass was a phenomenon. Mm -hmm. It's the early days of British TV, and this was the first real piece of popular science fiction. I think the Quatermass experiment, the first serial, the only thing that got more views 
was the Queen's coronation. Wow. Yeah, it was huge. So any anyone who grew up at that time, and this would include a lot of writers and directors, producers, anyone who grew up in Britain would likely have seen or been aware of Quatermass. Hmm. I feel like the influence has continued even outside of Doctor Who. Most yeah, definitely. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I saw an interview with John Carpenter talking about Quatermass. Oh, he's probably talking about, was it Prince of Darkness? Because I can see that being, that has a very Quatermass thing. It's a very heavy on science. It was just talking about it in general, but, oh, but okay. quite possibly. I mean, yeah. Very cool. I had no idea. Yeah. And Hooper's American too. So Quatermass came over to the Americans as well. Mm hmm. So. Yeah, through the film versions. I don't think yes. the TV shows ever made it over here until no. the advent of home media. Yeah, I think this was <laughs> called Enemy from Space or something over here. Yeah, it was. And I think the first one was called something different as well. Don, I think you're right. This one was Enemy from Space. The first one was called The Creeping Unknown in the US because, again... Americans didn't know who Quatermass was, so they wanted to try and market it a bit different. Which used to happen a lot more than it does today. I think the only example I can think of recently, and I'm going a little off topic here, is with The Avengers, where in the UK, because of the 1960s TV property, The Avengers, the first Avengers movie was called Avengers Assemble in the UK, rather than yeah. Marvel's The Avengers. <laughs> yeah. Slightly off topic. That type of retitling films for release in other countries, that like carried on in the 70s and 80s as well. I mean, a lot in the 70s and 80s. You can look at Italian horror movies in particular, how they were marketed here in the United States, completely different. They would even change the names of the directors to make what? them sound more American. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Wow. I did not know that. Interesting. All right. Any final thoughts on Quatermass? It's delightful. If you like Who, I think people should give it a shot. And also, I would love to... Uh, this makes me want to rewatch Quatermass in the pit. <laughs> Don, would you recommend it? Yes, yes, I would. Well, the good news is, if you want to watch it, I believe that there are some lowish quality copies on YouTube, but equally it's available on DVD and Blu-ray, and we'll put some links in the show description as you're listening to it, so check it out. Otherwise, that is pretty much all we have time for tonight. We're at the end of our discussion. We will be back next time. Our next regular episode is Doctor Who and the Silurians, so do come back and listen into that. But in the meantime, as always, thank you very much for listening and have a good one. You have been listening to a bonus episode of Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, a bit pudgy for a stormtrooper, was recorded on Wednesday the 7th of July 2021. If this is your first time listening in, all of our previous episodes are available through your favourite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watchers4D. And you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favourite podcasting app. All of those things really do help us out. And always remember, when all else fails, put on a terrible accent and pretend to be drunk. You might somehow get a chance to die a hero.